You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and the West Side Community News. And today, as is customary for several podcasts during All-Star Weekend, we are doing a mailbag. I asked you guys on Twitter, what do you want to know or learn more about about this Pacers team? And I'll talk about it today. It's a good time to do this during the break with no games, figure out people are interested in thinking about. And what I've learned is a lot of people are interested in the upcoming draft for the Pacers. Why shouldn't they be? Pacers have two First-round picks, including one that could be in the top like seven or so. It's a very, very big draft. Perhaps the most important draft in my lifetime for the Indiana Pacers. So lots of draft questions, some questions about the vets on this team, where they fit in, a couple free agency questions, and a few just random little odds and ends kind of things that I like to talk about. So we're just going to go through them. I got nine, three per segment, although a couple of them have multiple parts. So we got a lot to get to. Let's just dive right into the mailbag. First one comes from Austin Burns. Austin Bruins, excuse me, who says, Ideas? On who the Pacers are looking for in the draft. That's part one. Do I know who they're looking for? No. But what I will say, and you're going to hear this phrase a lot from me when I talk about the Pacers in this upcoming draft, best player available. The Pacers are not good enough to be thinking any other way. They are not tied up in any position enough to be thinking any other way. You know, the problem used to be with Turbonus in the fold. You know, that's why drafting Gogo was such a mistake. They can't play him enough to make that pick be valuable. But I guess if you count Goga and Jackson both as solely centers, the Pacers do have two centers, especially behind Miles Turner right now. But outside of that, they are not loaded enough at any position to say, we cannot draft a guy there. Halberton can play one and two. Duarte can play two and three. Jackson can play four and five. Turner's contract is expiring. All the vets have murky futures with this team now because they have clearly signaled a change in direction. Maybe all the vets are back, but even then, maybe Brogdon Halberton means there's not a lot of guard minutes. But, uh, you know... The Pacers aren't good enough to be not thinking to be thinking any way other than best player available. And it used to be that I would say best player available, but the tiebreaker is pick the non-center. Now I think if you have to think, okay, what are they thinking? The tiebreaker to me would be pick a wing or pick a guy who has the potential to be a wing. The problem is of the top seven in this draft, there's like one really obvious wing. AJ Griffin's obviously a wing, and a couple other guys could be wings in theory or perimeter fours in the case of Banchero and Jabari Smith, but it's a lot of, you know, four fives or one twos as opposed to wings. So uh, it, it's tougher this year to think that way, but that's what I think the Pacers should be looking for in the draft is the best player on the board when they're up and who they think that is and who I think that is is probably going to end up being different, but that's what I would be doing in their situation. You can move Duarte to the three if you pick a two. You can move Halliburton to the two if you pick a one. Or you could make that one be the two. It doesn't matter. Positions don't even really exist in basketball anymore. There are reasons to play guys at certain heights, to defend the other team playing guys at certain heights. But there's not like you have to be a one or something like that. As long as there's some fluidity, you have more value in that way. I would pick the best player available. Austin's second question is, what do the Pacers plan to do or get with extra salary cap space this offseason? Great question. That will be an interesting thing to talk about. This offseason, Pacers project to be one of not very many teams with salary cap space this summer. And there's a couple other free agency questions. I don't want to get too into the thick of things today. This is not an awesome 
free agency class. It's okay. It's pretty good. But a lot of like the prizes are either young dudes who are going to be restricted or old guys who are most likely going to stay on their same team just because of the way the cap space landscape shakes out in the NBA. Meanwhile, the 2023 free agency class looks nasty right now. Unbelievably good, right? And again, the Pacers are never going to be getting these crazy good players in free agency, right? That's just not who this market is. But perhaps what they could do is they want to keep the powder dry so that they can use their flexibility to help other teams facilitate big moves, and then they get assets in exchange. So one thing they could do is just take on bad money two summers in a row, right? The 2023 summer, LeBron, Harden, Wall, Westbrook, Middleton, Beal, Irving, Porzingis, Love, Wiggins, Jokic, D'Angelo Russell, Al Horford, Vucevic, Draymond Green, Fred Van Vliet, Harrison Barnes, DeGalinari, Jeremy Grant, Miles Turner, both Bogdanovich's, Eric Bledsoe, Karis LeVert. It's crazy. That is a crazy good summer for free agency. And it's really bad if you're a free agent because there's going to be a lot of competing money. That's the summer that the Pacers can make stuff happen is 2023. Whereas a 2022 free agency class, remember before TJ Warren got injured, I was talking on this podcast, like he could work his way into like a top 10 to five free agent in this class. Like the best guy who could switch teams is like Miles Bridges. Maybe we'll talk about him later. Actually, you know, Joe Ingles, it's not a good group this year outside of the restricted guys. So what I would do if I'm the Pacers is either rent out my cap space to help other teams get it and acquire assets along the way. What I mean by rent out cap space is take in crappy money from another team along with an asset and then just eat the money and pay the guy and deal with it and then sign someone else when he clears the books. Or what I would do if I'm the Pacers is a lot of big one-year deals, big one-year deals, which sounds dumb, but like I'm just going to name a player, Marvin Bagley, for example. I don't think the Pacers should sign Marvin Bagley. He's just on the screen in front of me. But like, if you give Marvin Bagley one for 18, the, again, not saying they should do this. He's just the name in front of my face. And then he's awesome for your team. Now you have his non-bird rights and you're able to keep him. And if he sucks, who cares? You just sign him to a one-year deal. You know, young guys that Pacers could give one-year blow to deals to, like try him out basically on their new look team and could m- maybe make them good. That's what I would do with the cast spaces. The Pacers is really focus on 2023. That's also Halliburton's big free agency summer when he becomes extension eligible. So then you really got to think they want to go in there because he's going to get expensive the next year. Next summer is well more is way, way, way more important than the 2022 summer for the Pacers. And so that's why I think they need to be thinking about the future and not be thinking about adding talent right now. But that is a conversation for the summer and is a conversation for once we know more about this Pacers core and how everything fits together. And question two Comes from Alex Golden, host of Setting the Pace. Hello, Alex. Thank you for the question. And Alex just said his own mailbag. Go check that out as well. He says, pros and cons to extending Miles Turner. Well, ironically, my previous answer says a lot about that is you kind of want to make sure you're able to spend at some point at the last possible moment before Halliburton gets expensive. And there's a chance the Pacers, you know, given their veteran situation, could have a bunch of vets come off the books right when that happens, right? McConnell go be going into an expiring year. Brogdon will as well. Turner could be gone by then. Warren could be gone by then. All the vets people typically name with this team could be off the team at that point. Buddy Heald will have one year left, right? It's not hard to get the powder dry right before Halliburton becomes expensive and then sign guys. So it's not hard. It's not like they need to prioritize it, but I would be as a team. So a miles extension that goes beyond one season suddenly cuts into that thinking a little bit. And Miles Turner is very good. Miles Turner fits extremely well with the New York Pacers. I'm very excited to see that group together. And that's the pro of extending him. He's awesome as a defender. One of the best 10 to 15 defenders in the NBA. 
his the way he shoots as a big man, you know, it's not like a high accuracy player, but for his position, he's one of the best in the league at shooting the three. Fits very well with the new core, right? I don't know if he's going to love his role with the new team. That's yet to be determined. That's a con, obviously. But the big pro is he could fit extremely well with the new look Pacers. And that's why you'd want to keep him around. And they can extend him starting in the offseason again. They can't right now. But once he's once the offseason starts, they will be able to again. So if Turner wants to stay or likes his new role or likes the new team he's on, the pro is that he's great and he fits. The con is it could conflict with any of your future building plans. And sneakily, Miles Turner will be 26 in a, basically exactly one month from you listening to this. One day more than that. That's not old at all. But by the time this page died, then he's like 29, 30. That's when the decline starts. You know, you got to be careful extending guys at that point when you're a building team. If they were already good, you don't care about that at all. I think you have to take a lot of those kind of things into consideration. You know, the Pacers right now is, and you can't be too picky about the perfect fit. And I would be very pro extending miles, I think, on a shorter extension if I'm the Pacers. But you have to be very much considering guys' ages at this point. And again, 26 is not old at all. Miles Turner still has a ton of good years in the NBA ahead of him. The question is just when does that decline start for him, if at all? And he's kind of relying on athleticism to be really good at blocks. You know, if you get into a four-year extension, suddenly the back end of that might might not look so great, especially when you have Isaiah Jackson on your team who looks really good. How do you want to hand, how does Isaiah Jackson play? And maybe you want him to be your starter of the future. So do I think a Miles Turner extension gets done? Absolutely not. The number of times that he's been in trade rumors, the number of he's expressed his own bigger role and frustrations with his current franchise doesn't seem like a marriage that wants to be like immediately extended. But it's possible that the next month of the season, the final month and a half of the season goes awesome for him. And he's like, this situation is great for me. And then in that case, maybe the two parties could do a one or two year extension. But I would not expect that to happen because the cons are you shoot yourself in the foot with future team building decisions and you get in the way of potentially finding minutes to develop Isaiah Jackson or Goga even in further. Last question for the first segment comes from Evan Barrett. It's quite long. I'm going to try to just cut to the good part here, it's two-parter. The first part is a lot of high-profile coaches who get fired or dismissed from their job end up becoming an assistant with another team to kind of find a place to go until they find their next job if they don't find another way. Like Mike D'Antoni's doing this right now. Dave Yeager's doing this right now. Lloyd Pierce with the Pacers is doing this. This happens all the time. Mike Brown, Tyron Lue did it for a long time. It's just how it goes. And so the suggestion here is, Basically, since Dan Burke's been gone, the Pacers' defense has stunk. Would the Pacers be willing to hire Frank Vogel if he's out in L.A. as a defensive coach? Step one, yeah, if they're willing to pay him and Frank Vogel's willing to take that job, that'd be great. That'd be awesome for the Pacers. But problems, one, Lloyd Pierce is the same mold of the coach you're describing and is currently the Pacers' defensive assistant. The Pacers' defense has not been great right now, but that is something that would prevent Frank Vogel from doing it. And And... Outside of the Nets, who are just willing to play ludicrous money for the best coaching staff of all time, it's very rare. I guess the Sixers did it too. Maybe it's not as rare as I'm thinking, but it's not super common for two of those high-profile assistants to end up on the same bench, right? Because the, sometimes the thought is that they're the elite assistant is their title, and then they're more likely to move up, or sometimes they can fit in more with the team they're currently on. It's just easier for those growth things to happen. So would Vogel be a good fit as an assistant on this Pacers team if he gets fired in L.A.? Yeah, he he certainly could be. Well, do I think that'll happen? No, I do not. But that's a very creative question and idea. And for, for the Pacers, you know, that's a good way to improve, right? There's no salary cap on coaches. If you want to pay them, you can have them. The Nets and the Sixers will reap those benefits every season. Part two of this question 
Talks about the Lakers' defense taking a step back this year because they didn't bring Caruso back. It says, what would you think about trading Brogdon for Caruso? The money doesn't work, so it'd have to be a bigger deal. Yeah, that's true. It would have to be a bigger trade. But Caruso's good. He'd fit very well with the Pacers' young guards they have right now. Brogdon is better than Caruso. So I don't know why the Pacers would do that unless the Bulls include a lot of assets and some money there. And Brogdon would be a good fit with the Bulls' guards. But that doesn't... So is Caruso because he doesn't require having the ball. That doesn't really make sense for either team to me unless the Pacers decide to get desperate on defensive improvement this summer, which maybe they do. They have not had a good defensive season. Three good questions to start us off. Let's pivot. We got I split up all the draft questions into each segment, so more draft talk next segment, more general Pacers thoughts next, question, next segment, and a free agency question. Let's dive into all that. But first, let's talk about the good folks over at... Prize picks who are making the best daily fantasy, making it easy for you. I love it, and I know you will too. You pick two to five players on prize picks, and you pick an over-under on their projections. You go up to 10 times your deposit on any entry. It's just you versus the projected numbers. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's safe. They offer fast withdrawals and award-winning app. You've got to try it. Any prop you can think of. You pick a player, you can pick, will they get over-under their points scored or their rebounds? Will it be over-under a certain number? Their steals even. They have a mixed sport entries. You've got to try it. More than just NBA, college basketball, college football, NFL, MLB, MMA, and more. You've got to try it. For a limited time, PrizePix has an exclusive no-brainer of an offer for all users who come from us. $50 for free if a player in your first PrizePix entry scores a single one point. All you got to do is use the code NBA when you sign up. That's right. Exclusive offer available to Locked On fans. Sign up today. Use the code NBA when you sign up at PrizePix. You'll get $50 for free. If a player in your first entry scores a single point, prize picks, daily fantasy, made easy. Thank you, as always, for making Locked On Pacers your first listen every single day as we talk Pacers and we answer your questions from Twitter. I love doing these kind of things to kind of see where fans are thinking about this team. And clearly everybody's thinking about the draft. Next question comes from Andrew Graves. Are you YouTube listeners? Sorry, I keep looking down at my phone to read the questions. Andrew, the draft question says, let's say the lottery gods do not screw the Pacers and they land a top five pick. Could you see the Pacers making a trade to move up a spot or two? If there's someone they've got their heart set on. Then he mentions the Isaiah Jackson trade last year where they similarly moved up. Andrew, I don't think your fake trade with the Rockets makes any sense, so I'm not going to include that in here. But I will DM you about it if you would like to tomorrow. So here's the thing about this draft. To me, I don't know how the Pacers feel. There's a top tier with three guys to me. And then a fourth tier that's just Jaden Ivey. And then everybody else is, is below that. So if you're at five, it's going to take some some stuff some stuff to get into the, the Holmgren, Banchero, Smith, Ivey conglomerate at the top of this draft. So if you're at five, I get why you want to move up to four. Those guys are better. And the Pacers do, in theory, in theory, have the ammo to do that. They've got another first. They've got a really high second. They've got future seconds. They've got some young players in their team, like Goga could be in this thing. You know, that's what it'd take. The problem is, the re- one, there's two problems. One is the receiving team would have to want that package. And two, the receiving team would have to like someone enough to be willing to move back. But also, the other, I guess this problem kind of relates to those two. The four teams ahead of the Pacers right now in the lottery standings are Oklahoma City, Houston, Detroit, and Orlando. They all stink. They also want one of those guys in that top tier. So they might require even more to move up unless 
They love someone they can get at five, or they love the idea of extra picks, Oklahoma City. So it's possible, certainly possible, and the Pacers have the ammo to do it. And I think as of right now, I would be pro that because I think I don't think the drop off after Ivy is like massive, but it's big enough that I'd think about doing something like that. But it's very tricky because the value to do so is going to be fairly large, I think. So unless you know, Shaden Sharp hasn't played at all for Kentucky, it's really hard to assess how good he is. And A.J. Griffin looks interesting from Duke, but he's below those guys. And Johnny Davis at Wisconsin's below those guys. Keegan Murray's really exploding at Iowa right now. He's also 22 years old at the time of the draft. You know, he's he could be a good fit, I suppose. But there's just a lot of like, nah. I mean, that's pretty good, but not exactly awesome after four. And I think it'd be pretty hard to move up at that point. So I think the Pacers could try to do it. I think it'd be really hard to do. And you equate it to the Jackson trade. The Jackson trade, they moved up from the high second round into like the upper 20s. That That's kind of different. That doesn't take quite as much stuff to move up that high. Like they could probably do Goga and the Houston pick and get into the late 20s. And maybe that's something they try to do. They did something very similar with Aaron Holiday last year. Let them reset their rookie scale and get someone else who maybe fit their talent level a little better. Maybe they try to do something like that again, but also those picks could all be used to do what you said and move up from five into higher. So the draft strategy will be fascinating. It might depend where the Cavs pick land. It might depend where the Pacers pick lands. It all depends on a lot of stuff. Maybe Goga's awesome the rest of the season and his value goes up. There's a lot there. So good question. We will see what happens there. Elliot Beaver with a a five-parter. Not all of them are serious, though, so it's not going to take forever. Elliot Beaver's first question. Thoughts on Chris Duarte at small forward? I think he could do it. And a lot of, you know, I talked about positions not really being a thing earlier. Like, you're a wing, you're a guard, you're a big, whatever. It's kind of dependent on who you can guard. And that's why Duarte at the three, totally fine. Because he's 6'6", and we've seen this season that he can guard small forwards. No problem. No problem. He guarded Kevin Durant. Uh, that's the high-profile one. I mean, it would take me forever to think of, like, a non... He guarded Miles Bridges. There we go. We're going to talk about Miles Bridges later, so I can just bring that one right up. And literally his first game, he was guarding Miles Bridges. He was on Jimmy Butler when they played Miami. You know, he can be a three solely because he can guard threes. I think that is sometimes all it takes to assign a guy to a position. Offensively, the three and the two, it's like a three is a taller two. I mean, it doesn't... I use the positions to talk because that vernacular is what the is easy for NBA fans, but it doesn't really matter to me. It's kind of positionless at this point, but but the, if you want to use a specific barometer for specific positions like that, which I do all the time, can you guard that position? That if you can, or if you, if you can do the typical roles assigned to defending that position, then yeah, you can be that. And Duarte can be a three solely for that. He can guard on ball at the three. His off ball defense has to be better. He can certainly guard on the ball at the three. He plays on the wing for the Pacers right now on offense. And he's played next to Halliburton plus other guards already, like Buddy Heald. It doesn't, you know, he's two or three in that lineup doesn't really matter. Like Buddy could be the three of the two. It doesn't matter. You know, that kind of stuff. He started earlier this season next to Brogdon and Levert, right? So he's played the three in that role. So I definitely think he can do it. I definitely think that's something the Pacers can lean on going forward. Like if they love a two guard in this draft, or even if they get Ivy, they can go Ivy, Halliburton, Duarte, something like that. It makes a ton of sense to me. So my thoughts are, yeah, he can do it. And if, if they assign him, assign him, it doesn't really matter. To the two or the three, that's totally fine. Question two, more draft, but not the same. Who would you draft if the Pacers are in the six to eight range? I mentioned some of these names earlier. You know who I love just outside the top four? Ben Matherin. I love Ben Matherin last year, and then he went back to school at Arizona, which is very disappointing. Very good connecting wing guard type 
I just love the way he plays as a slasher. He's very good. He's one of the guys that I would love the Pacers to acquire in that six to eight range. I haven't done a ton of scouting yet, admittedly. Um, I like AJ Griffin a little bit, but again, I admittedly do not have a ton of a ton of opinions on anyone outside of the top four because my college basketball watching doesn't really begin until the Pacers season ends. So I'll say right now, I love Ben Matherin, mostly because I watched him last year. I kind of like AJ Griffin, and we'll see on everybody else. Keegan Murray keeps popping up on my on my feed as a guy whose tape I really need to dive into. So unfortunately, I can't answer that one in full, but Ben Matherin, get to know him. Get to know him. Question three, who would you keep going forward between Buddy Heald, Miles Turner, Malcolm Brogdon, TJ McConnell, and TJ Warren? Well, I think the best player of that group is certainly Brogdon, and then Miles right now, and then Warren, then McConnell, and then Buddy Heald. I think is the worst player of that group personally, although his shooting has been huge for this Pacers team since he joined the squad. Look, I don't know. I think that the shooting is very valuable. Like we've seen Buddy have some good plus-minus games even when his shot's not falling. I think Brogdon's really good. I think Warren can fit this team's needs like a glove, and McConnell's veteran leadership is nice. I think McConnell doesn't fit as well going forward, though, especially if they keep Brogdon. Like, it's going to be hard to get McConnell serious minutes. They're paying him $9 million, and now they have Halbert and Duarte and Brogdon on this team. Even Buddy Heald sometimes plays at the two, air quotes up, because I just talked about positions. His his fit on this team going forward is fascinating to me. So I was kind of hoping he could return this season. We'll still see he's still slinged up, casted up with a month and a half to go. So I would say McConnell is the one I'd be the least interested in keeping, followed by Buddy Heal, just because I don't particularly love his skill set. After that, I would say, you know, Brogdon allows Duarte and Halbert to have the ball a lot more, but he's also incredibly good. So between I think I think Miles is the one I'd try to keep the most, just given the Pacers roster in general, followed by Brogdon, Warren, Heald, and McConnell. Um, but who would I actually actively try to keep? Uh, the ones who can fetch me the most value in trades if I'm the Pacers, which is, you know, Miles Turner and Malcolm Brogdon. Certainly the other guys, TBD. I mean, Buddy was basically just salary filler in this bonus trade. McConnell, after his injuries, at best a neutral value asset for the Pacers. And TJ Warren just kind of shrugged. No one really has any idea. Number four and five are both silly questions. Number four. Are you crying knowing Monte's contract is almost up? It's going to help the Pacers quite a bit. I mean, they basically, like if they sign someone to a $2.5 million deal next summer, it's basically like Monte's money just freed up that signing and made it allowable or easy to do or whatever. Am I crying? No. I mean, I just keep a cap sheet. I might make a funny video about removing the row from the sheet. But, uh, you know, I, you know I, I get why it's funny to still see his name on the sheet. It's 2022. He was on the team in 2016. But, like, that got them Bojan, and they lost Bojan and two summers later for crazy reasons that all happened so fast. But, I mean, that was obviously the right choice in retrospect to me. It's hurt them very minorly the last couple seasons, but to have a solid player like Bojan for those two years, I think that was definitely worth it. So uh, it actually turned out – I thought it was dumb when they did it, and it turned out to be a shrewd move by the Pacers. So everybody thought the Pacers were going to be like a 32-win team why are they shedding Monte's money to sign Bojan Bogdanovich? Well, it turns out they're a 48-win team who can almost win a first-round series. That was smart by the Pacers, and it will be obviously great for them to see that deal come off the books. So the last one, my deal or no deal case choice, the key this season would be my case choice. Uh, for those who don't know, the Pacers sometimes during games do deal or no deal as like a fun in-stadium entertainment thing, and there's a K, E, Y, and a key as the four cases. If you've never watched deal or no deal on TV, everything I'm about to say will make no sense. But there's one that has $50 in it, 100 250 and 500 Your goal is to get the most money you can. You eliminate two cases after you pick one. The banker offers you money. 
for a while they were using the same case and and money uh, in the same cases like a bunch of games in a row but they switched it up last game so the key has usually been the safest this season but now that they change them it's a little harder it used to be the y and the e were the ones to avoid but those actually ended up being better the last contestant to play it so i don't always pick the key that one's been safe for a while but if they if they change them up now it's a little tougher for me to to do my analysis i actually need to make like a spreadsheet tracker doing this last question for this segment i've been talking your ears off today comes from tyler thompson talking about free agency and the cap miles bridges restricted free agent with the charlotte hornets would they match something in the 25 to 30 million range and if they would could the pacers entice them by giving them miles turner sign and trade to potentially pull in miles bridges so interesting question a lot of other stuff in this question that i won't quite read all of, but tyler here's what i would say one Fortunately for the Hornets, and unfortunately for the Pacers, because Miles Bridges is probably like the most natural fitting free agent. Young, plays the right position, is already good. The Hornets have a very good cap sheet to keep him. Right, They only have $100 million guaranteed next year. In fact, less than that, they could cut Plumlee and, and Nick Richards and get to like $90 million of guaranteed money, and the cap's going to be over $120 million. Very easy for the Hornets to keep Miles Bridges, like laughably easy. And so is he worth $25 to $30 million? That's where the rubber meets the road on that kind of thing. You know, maybe not, but that's what it would take to probably lure him from another team. I mean, he, he, he's he been a 20-point scorer this season, but the three-pointer that made him valuable the year before is gone. He's down to a 30% shooter from deep. He's just become an athletic slasher and a pretty good defender and a good rebounder. Like, he's good. He's definitely a, a good starting-level player. And that's at least worth $20 million at his age especially. So... I think 30 million is probably a bit rosy to me. 25 is probably going to be what he ends up near. Maybe he gets like four for 120 and there's it starts at 25 and there's races in there. I don't know. But, you know, to that, the, I think the Hornets would probably match up to 30 million just because their sheet's so good. And even at the end, when that would get expensive, right? Gordon Hayward comes off all of a sudden. The problem for the Hornets is they're eventually going to have to think about paying PJ Washington. They're eventually going to have to think about paying LaMelo Ball. That's when their team will get expensive. So they have to be careful with this kind of stuff. So perhaps if they love P.J. Washington, who's super versatile on defense, and they love LaMelo Ball, who obviously is their best player, and they know they're going to lose Hayward, maybe they can keep all those guys. But maybe that's how they could get if – they, if they say, okay, we can also get Turner. Maybe that's how they would deal away with Bridges, and it could be like something with Brogdon where it's a sign-and-trade sort of deal. Remember, Brogdon was actually sign-and-traded from the Bucks to the Pacers. Now for that to happen, the restricted free agent, in this case Bridges, would have to still pick the Pacers – because how sign and trades work is it's like if I'm not traded here in this many days, this contract is void, whatever. So he would still have to pick the Pacers and the money they're offering, which they have a lot to offer. But I find it hard to believe there's a way that the Hornets would just let him go away. I mean, they could probably get more for him even after signing him than just Miles Turner at this stage. So I, I guess if they thought they were going to lose him or he said, hey, I'm going to sign this massive offer sheet with this team at the, at the max or something, like $30 million's above his max. It could His deal could be $30 million per year at the end. Like when it's all said and done, but his max will be a little under that. That doesn't matter. His deal could be large. And if the Hornets say, no, you know, we want the flexibility and we want LaMelo plus PJ plus Hayward and going forward, we'll take Turner and, and something. Maybe that's possible. I suppose that is possible, but I really doubt it. I really think he stays in Charlotte because why wouldn't they? I mean, they have a good cap sheet. They're a good team. They're probably going to make the playoffs this year. You want to build on that if you're a young team, especially one with. Lamelo Ball locked up for a while. He is special. That team is just an absolute delight to watch. P. 
P.J. Washington next year. Now we're talking about Pacers' moves. I have become infatuated with P.J. Washington. But that is not the question. Can the Pacers get Miles Bridges on an offer sheet? Almost certainly no, because his max is below $30 million. Could they, in theory, do a sign-and-trade like they did with Brogdon? Yeah, that's possible. Good question. Moving on, three more today. One draft, one conceptually cool question, one about O'Shea Brissett. Let's get into it. But before we do that, let's talk about the good folks over at Bet Online because football might be over. The Super Bowl's been over for over a week now, but basketball, full steam ahead. NBA returning very soon. College basketball going crazy. Other sports are going awesome. And for the latest odds, totals, player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land a job, betonline.net is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, sports podcasts, and sports news this season, not just basketball. They've got hockey, boxing, UFC odds right to the Olympic coverage over at betonline.net. Head to their website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action at BetOnline. BetOnline.net is where the game starts. Thank you, as always, for making Locked On Pacers your first listen every single day. For your second listen, you're going to pick a random team. Why not check out Locked On Pistons with Kuka Hill? Learn about NBA Rising Star MVP Cade Cunningham, who's flying under the radar as a stud rookie. you got to check out more Pistons content with Kuka Hill. For now, though... Let's finish up this Pacers mailbag. Our next question comes from someone whose Twitter name is just Richmond's. More draft questions. Do the Pacers hard target a guy in the draft and make the trades to get him? Someone like Paolo Jabari or Chet. Or do they take the best player available and shape the roster from there? Honestly, both of those strategies are kind of fine to me. That's a very lame answer. I, as I've kind of said throughout the show a little bit, think there's a drop-off after the top four. And would try to get in there, I think, if that was on the table or if I had the chance to move into the top four. And let's, let's be clear. Those are draft lottery. The Pacers could just de facto be top four. That would be awesome for them. They would love that. That's the whole point of the lottery stuff. But more realistically, if they have to move up to get there, I don't think they hard target a guy necessarily. And let, I mean, it's possible. You know, They haven't picked this high in a while. I don't really know how they're going to operate in this position. So... I think what they should do is hard target like a group, like tier it really well because, you know, that would make the value of doing something like that much safer than if you just say, we really want this guy, but he might not be there. That's really ballsy. That's how you get the the, the Nuggets being stuck with Tyler Lydon because they think they're going to get OG Ananobi and he goes one pick before them. That stuff's very precarious to do. I think that happened to the Thunder last year and the Grizzlies who ended up picking Zaire Smith. I think they wanted Josh Giddy at 10 or something. There's always a lot of smoke with this stuff, so I might just be making it up. But you know, it's risky to do stuff like that unless you have the number one pick, obviously. So I think they should kind of tier it and and you know target their guys in a tier and try to move up as high as they can within tiers. But I think drafting the best player available, shaping the roster from there, is a very smart strategy for their team. That said, the Pacers have not been a risk-taking team, and now that they have Halliburton and Duarte in the fold, Isaiah Jackson looks good. They probably can take risks, but. I would not take a risk with their first top 10 pick in almost 40 years and eh, 35 years and almost 35 years. I think they should just go with best player available and shake things out from there. Two more questions today. This one was very interesting. Josh W says, question, do you think it's more important for a team to be well coached or well managed in the front office? And to that end, do the Pacers look to be better coached or better managed? Excellent. Excellent question, Josh. Number one, I will say, 
I'm going to skirt around your question and say ownership is more important than both. If you've ownership that meddles in team affairs in the front office, if you've ownership that thinks they can coach and is butting in on coaching decisions or thinks they're smart on the coach, we read reports about this happening with other teams all the time, that's the worst thing ever. Danny LaRue was kind of the captain of this in the podcasting slash NBA coverage realm, but ownership can be the biggest competitive advantage in the NBA, right? And bad owner, it's, it's really, are you out of the way or are you involved, right? Or And then beyond that, it's, you know, how are you willing to spend for the best talent in your front office on the coach or are you not? And so ownership is a huge competitive advantage. And so for the Pacers, ownership spends more than is given credit for, but, you know, obviously has their own opinions on team building that sometimes get in the way. About middle of the pack ownership for the Pacers. And that's more important than both of the things you said. It's not what you asked, but I wanted to include it in my notes of this answer. That said, management above coaching for me every single time. And I would like to present you, – you could switch this on me, and I, would, I think you can make pretty good arguments for coaching over management. For sure. That said, let me present to you Luke Walton winning a million games in a row as the Warriors head coach, filling in for Steve Kerr, looks awesome, and then just terrible coaching his next two teams, right? Terrible. Obviously showing that having talent makes coaching a lot easier. I don't want to dunk on these coaches. Every coach who gets a job in the NBA is usually qualified and or good at the job or has some good ideas. But I think that... Building a good team is much more important than who is actually coaching that good team. That said, within those resources, coaching can improve a team dramatically that already exists. Going from David Blatt to Ty Lue, Ty Lue is one of the best five coaches in the league. Super helpful for the Cavs. Super important, right? Like that kind of stuff obviously matters. And those decisions are made by management, right? So a coaching change can have almost, if not, almost as much, if not more value than a good manager, like in a case like that, when you hire Ty Lue and think something go great, or when you get rid of a bad one like Rob Hennigan in Orlando, who is making panic trades for Sergi Baca on the way out, you know, sometimes coaching is not the issue and it's management. So I think management is more important, but I think usually the coaching change can can show the biggest results, especially when the good team is already in place. Look at the Warriors, Mark Jackson to Steve Kerr, for more examples. And I, I tried to work the magic in because it's not just good examples. So I think. It's ownership, management, coaching, kind of a top-down view in terms of importance. But I could hear coaching being more important, as I just said. There are plenty of examples of you know, management doing their own thing for a while, but then finally getting the right coach, and boom, things click, and it's awesome. Even you know, the Pacers in their early 2000s, you can make a good case for that exact situation being the case. Good question. I like that we have some good philosophical questions in here. Last one, Steve-O says, Why is O'Shea Brissett not thought of more as a wing? Is it foot quickness or something? We talk about TJ Warren as a wing, and they are similar builds. Just curious. Good question. Well, the answer to that is kind of just that the Pacers had Turbonus for a long time. And that meant O'Shea Brissett couldn't start. He's coming off the bench, and he's going to be a four. Uh, and so, and the rest of their roster kind of dictated it. That said, we asked Rick Carlisle in training camp, hey, you know, how have you been using these bench guys? You know, Torrey Craig, O'Shea Brissett. And he talked about using Torrey Craig as a three and a four, and he talked about just using Brissett as a four, which I thought was pretty interesting because I think O'Shea Brissett's better than Torrey Craig in most ways. So as I say a million things that don't matter to the question, why is he not thought of more as a wing? It was mostly just what other resources the Pacers had kind of dictated that he'd be the backup for, right? 
They had other guys who could play backup three or guys that made more sense as the three, like Justin Holiday, Duarte's starting at the three for a while. They had two centers already. The natural fill-in spot that's still available is backup four. So he was playing four for a while. And they started at the four because he was playing backup four. But they have, as we've seen in the last couple games, started him at the three. He started the second half at the three in one game when Duarte got hurt. There has been some realization from this front office that he can be a three. And, you know, let's go back to rolling this podcast. Positions don't really matter. He's got the skills to defend threes. That's why it's, it, you're able to assign him as your small forward in the lineup. He's quick enough to stay in front of threes. He's not strong enough, so, like, the stars will kill him and the bulkier forwards that kill the Pacers for all time will kind of kill him a little bit. But he's really good team defender, really good baseline roamer, a really smart player. He can play the three and the four. Right. And I think he can play the three. His build is similar to Warren's and Warren can play the four and the three as well. You know, I think it's funny that you mentioned Warren because he was playing the three, but Warren might be better suited to play the four, ironically. But anyway, to answer the question, yeah, it's ve- I think it's totally fair to think of O'Shea Brissett as a wing, especially when you think about the Pacers going forward. They have a 23 year old wing potentially on the roster right now. If he can kind of up his three point shooting a little bit, I think that'll make that claim a little more serious than just like a slashing post player type excuse me, a slashing front court player type. But O'Shea Brissett can certainly play the three, and he has done well in that role the last couple of games. And he fits really well with Halberton in a way that might allow them to get away with having him be, you know, playing a different role, different position going forward. But honestly, as we've seen with the Pacers team and the way Rick Carlisle coaches, there's a lot of interchangeability that he allows in his offensive sets and from player positions. And he wouldn't play O'Shea Brissett if he didn't trust him to, to fill multiple roles and play that way. So I think O'Shea Brissett does a very fine job playing the four. I think he could do a very fine job playing the three. And if they assign him to that role going forward, that makes a ton of sense to me. Thank you all for the questions today. We bounced all around. Draft, free agency, guys in their positions, trades, money, everything. Everything that everybody likes to talk about. And I hope you got a good fix and kick of Pacers basketball today. Tomorrow, I don't want to ruin it. It's going to be fun. A cool guest coming up. And then Friday... I think we'll do uh, what should the Pacers focus on for the rest of the season show. TBD on the guest on that one. So some fun shows coming up that you guys will like. We're talking about Tyrese Halliburton tomorrow, but I won't tell you who with. You guys will want to hear it, though. It's going to be awesome. Thank you all so much for listening today. Hope you have a great day, and we will see you tomorrow.